0: chapter number 23, uh, that they were not to make a covenant with any other nation. In verse number 33 of the end of the chapter of 23, it says, They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. So he's telling them, you know, be careful of these other nations. Don't make a covenant with them. You're making a covenant with me. And so we got into the first part of chapter 24 last week. Just at the very end, we just gave a real quick, brief synopsis of this. <clears throat> Verse number 1 of chapter 24, And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye. Now notice this, he says for them to worship afar off. And uh, there's, there's an interesting um, thing here, because when we get to... Um, the point where God calls Moses, He tells Moses, I want you to come near. I don't want you to be afar off. I want you to come near, specifically. And, uh, there's something, I think, to be learned from this, and that is that, uh, there are times that you and I worship, but our worship seems to be afar off. And yet, oftentimes, God's ultimate desire is for us to draw near to Him. And, uh, so we find that He actually instructs them. He says, I want the, the leaders, Of the nation of Israel to worship afar off. Now, why God wanted them to do that, I don't know that I know the answer to it, but I will tell you what I think about it, and this is my opinion on this particular part of this chapter. That God intended for the nation of Israel to look to Moses as the at this point, as the intercessor between them and God, he oftentimes in the Old Testament is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, certainly not in every aspect because Moses was fallible. He was not perfect. But oftentimes he was used as an illustration for what the role of the Lord Jesus Christ would be when he would come. And so perhaps for that reason alone, God uh, says that uh, establishes this, that they needed to come to him through Moses. And uh so we find here in verse number two, the Bible says, and Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord hath said, notice this, we will do. OK, so. They have to be in agreement with their side of the covenant. In other words, God's trying to make a covenant with them. He says these are the requirements of the covenant. Uh, These will be the penalties of the covenant if you fail them. Are you in agreement? And he uses Moses to bring the word to them. And perhaps a little rashly, a little bit quickly, perhaps maybe a little overconfident in their own ability to keep covenant, they all in one accord said, um, we will do it. And so, uh we'll, we'll whatever the Lord has said, we will do. And can I say this, that there are times, and I, I certainly believe the children of Israel were sincere in this. But you know, there are times in our life where our full heart's intent is to not fail the Lord in any aspect. We want to please Him in every aspect of our lives. And sincerely we do. And our hearts are full on it, and we our our hearts and our minds are made up. Maybe a a preacher gets up and preaches on Daniel, who purposed in his heart aforetime, you know, before the the trial came, he'd already purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat, and the intent was such that I'm not going to I'm not going to fail God. I'm going to I'm going to do what was right, and we can sincerely do it. And yet, how often we find after this covenant was made, the nation of Israel departed from it, didn't they? And the truth of the matter is, we can be very, very sincere, and we can make pledges to God, and we can make vows to God, and we can make commitments to God. But oftentimes, we need to revisit those commitments, because we find ourselves in the same boat that Israel's in, in that we fail Him. Uh, we, we, Against all of the desire of our hearts, we still find times and find opportunities to be able to fail Him. So I think it does us well to come to God on a regular basis. And could not only just commit things to Him, but recommit things to Him. Perhaps even past decisions that we've made that maybe the, we've not been able to fulfill completely. We've not been able to hold to. Um, I was I was listening to a fellow one time, and I could relate to it, what he was saying. And he said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. And he said, I hit the altar as a young person. And he said, I had my life changed so many times I didn't even know who I was anymore. He said, uh, because he kept coming to the altar and he would make commitments to the Lord... And then he would go out. And you know, the, the easy thing is making the commitment. The hard thing is living it. And oftentimes we get out that door and we, we fail. And then, you know what the human nature is, the tendency is? Oh, I failed God. I might as well just give up. I'll never be able to do it. Can I tell you this? God's desire is that we get up, dust ourselves off, recommit ourselves, and go again. And you say, how many times should I do that till we get to heaven? <laughs> Still, we get to heaven. We keep on doing it. Because the children of Israel certainly would fail God over. And we know this from history. Over and over and over again, they're going to fail God. And they're going to come back to God. And aren't you thankful? God shows us through His Word that He is always ready to accept them that come back to Him. It doesn't matter how many times we offend Him or go against Him or displease Him or sin against Him. He is always there. Always there. Every single time for us to come back to Him. By the way, what an example of forgiveness. You say, how often should I forgive somebody? They keep doing me wrong and they keep doing me wrong. How often? As often as the Lord has forgiven us. And I think we ought to keep it that way. And we find in verse number 3 that the people said we will do it. In verse number 4, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. I think it's interesting to know that they weren't going to just commit this covenant to hearsay or by teaching or word of mouth. They wrote it down. They didn't want. They want to make sure this this wasn't going to be lost in interpretation. Uh, this isn't going to be. You know how it is when you were kids. We played that game where you tell somebody a secret at one end of the line, and each one tells it to the next person. By the time it gets to the other end of the line, it's something totally different. God didn't want that to happen, so they wrote it down. And uh, the Bible says, uh, notice in, in verse four, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And notice this, and rose up. <laughs> now, I just want to stop there for a minute, because we're going to talk about the rest of the verse in just a minute. This is something I think is very, very important. The people made the commitment. Moses writes it down, and then they didn't just sit idly by. They put some feet to their prayers. They put some action to their commitments. And they rose up. And can I tell you this, when we make a decision for the Lord, it's going to take some effort on our part to keep it. We've got to do something. Somebody said it this way one time, in order to disturb, in order to affect or change the future, in order to change the future, you have to disturb the present. You can't keep doing the same thing you've been doing and expect the future to be different than what you've already had. You've got to disturb it. You've got to stir it up. And so, not only did they write these things down, but the Bible says Moses rose up. And I want you to notice he said he rose up early in the morning. He didn't let any grass grow under his feet in this commitment. They started working on it right away. As soon as the people said, yes, this is what we're going to do, Moses leaped into action. And the Bible says in verse number 5, and he sent young men uh, of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar and he took the book of the covenant. And read in the audience of the people. It's a beautiful picture of the Lord uh, of Moses sprinkling the blood on the altar. And then he comes to the people, and he reads what has been written down of the covenant. He reads, reads the book of the covenant to them. By the way, it's a lot the way we get saved, isn't it? Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. We hear the words of the New Testament, the New Covenant. We hear those words and then not only do we get to hear those words, but there has to be a response to those words. If we don't respond to those words, then we aren't saved. We've got to have not only the truth presented to us, but we have to respond to that truth. Notice what it says here. He took the book of the covenant, read it in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And they said, listen, we're going to respond to this by making a commitment. This is what we're deciding on. We're going to follow the Lord. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. In other words, at that point, the nation of Israel was sealed to be obedient to that covenant. Are they going to succeed in it? (laughs) Absolutely not. By the way, when we get saved, and that covenant was made between God and man at Calvary, are we going to succeed in keeping covenant? Not on this side of heaven we won't. And so I am so thankful that in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Christ is the surety of the new covenant. He's the guarantor. He's the one who says, you put that on my account. The penalty that that man deserves for breaking covenant with God, I've already paid it. I paid it on Calvary. And uh, that that payment's already paid in full. I don't know about you guys, but that gives me excitement. If it doesn't teach us eternal security, I don't know what else does. Our Our salvation is dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ being the surety of the new covenant. We get to verse number eight and verse number, I'm sorry, verse number nine. Then went Moses and Arab and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw God of Israel, the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. So they see uh, uh, the sight of God, and of course, they're from afar off, uh, and uh, they see this view. Uh, Whether it's a vision like uh, Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter number 6, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how they saw this. The Bible doesn't give us the details of it other than to say this is what they saw. Uh, They saw the the ground that was under him was, as it were, paved of sapphire stone and, uh, as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, also they saw God, and did eat and drink. Now I just want to make one or two comments on verse number 11, and then we're probably going to have to end there for today, and we'll pick up there next week. Uh, while they did see God, the Bible says that he did not uh, lay his hand on them. And I've, I've tried to understand that that idea or that thought, that process. And... Um, I'm not real sure exactly why the Bible says that He laid not His hand on them, other than the fact that we do know uh, that God's desire is to have fellowship. And He uses a a very clear distinction in the beginning of this chapter of a certain group of them that are to worship, and they're to worship afar off. And then Moses is to come near to God and worship near to Him. And that the idea being that unless they can come through a mediator, that they could not have that fellowship with Him. Now again, that's, that's my opinion on this passage. There may be other people that would disagree or say, no, that teaches something differently there. Um, and, and I wouldn't argue them on that point, okay? Because this is, again, this is something I cannot absolutely show from Scripture and prove it to be true. I believe this could be the reason why that particular phrase is in Scripture, that He laid not His hand. Uh, on them, and also uh, the Bible says, verse number eleven. And they saw God, and did eat and drink. And again, this is part of the covenant process. Uh, they would, at the end of the covenant process, have what was called a covenant meal. It's interesting to me that at the very onset of making the covenant, God tells them that they're to have three different feasts. They're to have three different offerings and things that they're to have a a, a feast with. They were to have the fast, Passover feast. They were have to have, they were supposed to have the feast of the first fruits, and then the feast of the harvest. And uh, the idea being uh, that there was a covenant uh, meal that was often done at the end of a covenant. (coughs) And uh, the reason for that was uh, every time they would eat of that particular meal from that time forward, it would serve as a reminder or remembrance of the covenant that was made. By the way, our, our practice of the Lord's Supper, Communion, is the covenant meal. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us this in 1 Corinthians. He says, this is the New Testament in my blood, the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. And he says, as often as you eat of this drink, eat of this uh, meat and drink of this cup, uh, do, all, uh, do as often as you do in remembrance of me. Why? What was he saying? He's saying this is the covenant meal that is to serve as a reminder of the covenant. And you're to do it from time to time for the purpose of being reminded of the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for us for the remission of sins. And a lot of times we think it's just an ordinance, just a practice of the church. No, it's part of the covenant process. And then the Bible says that the Lord told the disciples He would not eat it uh, until He ate it new with them in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. <coughs> and... Um, so, again, uh, that's one of these things that w- one of these days we'll get the opportunity to sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb and be able to enjoy uh, a meal with Him once again. And I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I'm excited about it. But uh, anyway, these fellas, uh, in the sight of God, uh, ate and drank. And again, it was kind of the close of the, uh, the, the process of making covenant. And from that day forward, when they ate or drank of those things, it was to serve as a reminder to them of those things. All right, Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And we'll dismiss and we'll have our next service here in about uh, 12 minutes or so. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. As we learn, uh, even from the Old Testament, so many times things are pictured. Things are given to us that show us how things in the New Testament are portrayed. Lord, we rejoice in it. Lord, what a joy uh, to see the blood that's sprinkled. What a joy it is to hear of the covenant and to, to know that uh, even though we will break covenant, that that has been paid for. We don't have to suffer the results of breaking the covenant. But we are eternally secure. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts. I pray that you bless the service to come and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I think I saw Miss Evelyn come in just a minute ago, so praise the Lord for that. Good to see her here.